We're past the first hundred days of the 46th president of the United States tenure in office, Joe Biden. So what have the first hundred days of riding with Biden been like? You know, they could, we could describe them, uh, one could posit that they, well, if you worded, oh, you know the thing. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome to another week. I apologize immensely for such a, uh, for lack of better words, stupid joke at the opening, but I had to do it. I thought of it like five minutes before I started recording, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever thought of. So, so yeah, we're here, over 100 days into the Biden administration. Um, As of the day I'm recording this, April 30th, it won't be the same when it comes out, but I'm recording it on April 30th, and it just so happens that on this day in 1789, President George Washington was was sworn in for the first time uh, as the very first president of the United States. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned it or not, but that was 232 years ago. Um, So that's pretty cool, and it's very symbolic that we're a little over 100 days into the 46th president in office's uh, tenure. I didn't word that right, by the way. So a good chunk of the story is actually just going to be taught or of this podcast is just going to be going over the first hundred days of the Biden administration. But there are a couple things that happened this week that I thought were pretty important to mention. Um, and I, before I begin, though, I, I do want to tell you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-E-Y in a way H. That's at Huey Noah. And uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, check out my merch and my books in the, in my books in the shop section of my website, um, which... If you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, it's the first thing that comes up. So just go to the website, check out the, um, I've got the audio. Every single episode of the show since season one is on up on, up on the website. There's an area to contact me if you've got business inquiries and stuff like that. Um, and of course, the shop section if you're interested in supporting the show or you'd just like to get some pretty funny merch. So um, other than that, let's go ahead and let's get into this. So Tucker Carlson, I believe it was over the weekend, told his viewers... Um, to, I believe, call the police on people who wear masks outside. And um, I think, obviously, Tucker did not mean that literally, but he's a, it's kind of a um, classic political trope that uh, conservative talking, conservative um, uh, commentators, I should say. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a sore throat. I have a feeling I'm probably going to be sick over the weekend. Not with COVID-19, thank God, but um, just strep throat, I think. Uh, But it's a common, uh, I guess, political trope of conservative talkers, conservative commentators, I mean, to be like, let's use the left's own logic against them. They they did that when Biden got elected president. All these people were putting hashtag not my president on all these conservative voices. And, um, you know, 
people were like, isn't that kind of hypocritical? I mean, you were literally saying if Biden won, you weren't going to do that. And they're like, well, you know, we're just using the, the left's logic against them. It, it was a, it's a very pathetic farce to say, oh, I'm mad. I, I gotta, it's, it's people being incredibly, um, emotional, I should say, emotionally unstable or emotionally, un- emotionally vulnerable, which I believe that people are very emotionally vulner- vulnerable in today's, uh, culture in the United States. And I think they're made that way by an ineffective public education system. And I think the political forces in our country use that as an advantage in the elections, which is unfortunate, but it's a fact of life, I believe. And so we've got these conservative and liberal people who are very upset all the time over things that, I mean, generally really aren't that big of a deal, but they certainly think it is. And, uh, raging against face masks. Now I'm reading the article on Monday night, excuse me. Fox News host Tucker Carlson told his viewers they should openly harass anyone they see wearing masks outside and go so far as to call the police or social services on the parents of any children with masks on. Carlson, who is a proponent of mask wearing to help stem the spread of coronavirus pandemic as recently as last March, has since become a fierce critic of face masks and other COVID-19 restriction guidelines and mitigation efforts. In this vein, and with the Biden administration... uh, set to further relax guidance on the mask wearing as coronavirus cases and deaths decrease nationwide as more Americans get vaccinated. By the way, I think over two-thirds of America is vaccinated, so that's awesome. Um, I may have already mentioned that before, actually, in a previous episode. Um, Carlson opened up his top-rated Fox News primetime show on Monday, on Monday night, by blasting neurotic liberals who have been faithfully wearing face masks amid a deadly pandemic. Masks have always been incompatible with a free society, he fumed. We used to know that. Masks strip people of their identity as individuals, transform people from citizens into drones. They isolate us and alienate us to shut off us off from one another. They prevent intimacy and human contact. If I can't see your face, I can't know you. Stating that a large portion of liberals suffer from actual from an actual mental health condition because recent Pew survey says that there are critical... They are critical of others who don't mask up near them. Carlson called on his audience to, in, to instead openly mock mask wearers in public. The rest of us should be snorting at them first. They're the aggressors. It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in, he said. So the next time you see someone in a mask on the sidewalk or on the bike path, do not hesitate. Ask politely but firmly, would you please take off your mask? Science shows there's no reason for you to be wearing it. Your mask is making me uncomfortable. He added, we should do that and we should keep doing it until wearing a mask outside is roughly as socially accepted as lighting a mar- mar- Marlboro on an elever- elevator, the cigarette. It's repulsive. Don't do it around other people. That's the message we should send because it's true. Carlson then took it several steps further by urging his viewers to take far more drastic measures if they see children wearing masks. As for forcing children to wear masks outside, that outside that should be illegal. The Fox News star huffed. You're responsible. Your response, I mean, when you see children wearing ma- outside wearing masks as they play, should be no different from your response to seeing someone beat a kid in Walmart. <laughs> Call the police immediately. Contact Child Protective Services. Keep calling until someone arrives. What you're looking at is abuse. It's child abuse, and you are morally obligated to attempt to prevent it. Further claiming that fighting back is the only option, the primetime host told his audience, if we don't resist, there is no escape. 
While the conservative star is seemingly uh, goading his millions of loyal viewers into the physically confronting people over the issue of mask wearing now, in 2018, he received widespread sympathy from his viral media rivals in 2018 after protesters showed up to his home. That goes into something I don't care about. I only care about that front part. Um, I mean, I, I'd like to believe in a, in a hypothetical situation, I would prefer to believe that this is all just political talk. It's all just him. Because his show is like entirely based off his ideological delusion of the, of the world. It, you know, it's, there's nothing, there's almost nothing factual in it. It's an opinion show. It's like my podcast, you know? This podcast is me just taking the news and giving you my opinion on it. It shouldn't be taken as fact unless, you know, I claim something's a fact and then you have to, it's your job to look it up and, and to see if I'm right. And if I'm wrong, obviously call me out. And I think Carlson is certainly wrong on this part. I don't talk about Tucker Carlson, actually. In the oh, in the four, let me think about it. Has it been four years? It's been four, three or four years. Because I can't, because it's, let me think. Technically, it won't have been four years until October. Let me think about that. October 2018 is when the show started. 19, 19, 20, 20. So yeah, it'll technically have been three years since it started. So in the three years that I've been doing this podcast, um, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about Tucker Carlson. And I don't because he's, he's the type of political commentator who, um, like his whole philosophy when it comes to talking about politics is exactly everything I loathe. It, it contains all of the extreme bigotries and delusions uh, that I constantly talk about society reaffirming to themselves and that I attribute to both the left and the right. Tucker Carlson is the conservative embodiment of, of ideological delusion. Um, a liberal counterpart I could pull up, I'm trying to think of one that's kind of in the same sphere as him, but it's, I mean, almost all major news platforms, but there's none quite as like Tucker Carlson, I'd have to say. Perhaps one of the people from the Young Turks, there's a guy named Sink something, I think he he reminds me of the liberal version of this, uh, of Tucker Carlson, I guess, or hmm, maybe even Pierce Morgan, but not not exactly. Pierce Morgan's a like a he he's radical in all sorts of ways. He's got horrible opinions about almost everything, um, but he like flip flops. It's actually kind of fun. But um, Tucker Carlson is the embodiment of this ideological delusion that I say people and society have, and. You know, there there is a fair chance that this is all just rhetorical nonsense that he's spewing because he's upset. But the thing is, I was actually, it's quite interesting. I was writing about this for um, a project I'm working on about mask wearing and conservatives and how they reacted to that. And conservatives generally, hardcore conservatives certainly, maybe not, maybe not everyone, but hardcore conservative like Trump for life, Trump 2024, 2028, so on and so on and so on, Hardcore conservatives, such as Tucker Carlson, um, they have a very tumultuous uh, relationship with wearing a mask. I mean, to them, it, I, I truly believe that to them, wearing a mask is the same thing as the Alien and Sedition Acts under the Adams administration in the... Oh, when was that? Let me think about that. 1790s? Um... Yeah, the 1790s. I, I believe to them that it truly is the same thing as losing their rights. Do I agree? Not in any sense. I actually think it's good to wear a mask. I think you should. Do I think the government should mandate it? 
that's actually an interesting question. I'm surprised I've never asked it before. I don't know. I don't know if I do believe the government should mandate it. I think we should have a society that is intelligent enough to know that the best possible thing you can do right now is wear a mask. Like I, like Ben, or not, what's his name? Um, Dan Crenshaw did a thing months ago, I think almost a year ago now, where he said it should be up to the, oh, that's right. I went, I, I got to go to a leadership summit. Uh, uh, it was a leadership institute summit thing. Um, just because they give me emails, and I'm like, oh, they didn't, they're doing with Dan Crenshaw. It'd be kind of cool to meet, to see him, um, and ask him questions. So I, ju I jumped on their live stream, and I got to see him talk with their moderators and the people asking questions, and it was actually very cool. It's very interesting. Um, and Crenshaw, and this was a little earlier on into the pandemic, said that I believe it was we should give everyone the resources to do so, but still leave it up to them. And I think that. I think that that's the ideal situation where our society is intelligent enough to know that wearing a mask is the best possible thing to do in our current circumstances. But the problem is we're not. And I, I, I've, all, I've had to constantly say this just because I, I don't want to um, give off this sense that I've got this rude character of, oh, I'm better than everyone because I'm not a, a Democrat or a Republican, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of... Um, the one you people call centrists. I don't like to be like that. Um, but I do generally think that our society is so uh, overtaken, perhaps, by the ideological delusions of um, political ideologies and such that have um, infected most of humanity and uh, essentially been the driving force of human history. I think that we are so entangled in that that... Also, I don't know what I'm doing with my hand. I've been, like, waving it around over here for you. <laughs> um, but I think most of humanity, we've... Um, or most of the country, I mean, we've been kind of overtaken with this type of delusion. And I think the conservatives, just like the rest of us, have this as well. And, and to them, wearing the mask is the same thing as, as losing their rights. But I, I fervently disagree with them. And I think, yes, it would be best to... Um, just leave it up to the people, but what happens if the majority of people aren't doing it and then suddenly COVID um, breaks out? So I don't know. It's a slippery slope. I think perhaps in this in the situation that we are currently in, it may actually be best to um, mandate it. Um, and as far as what, Cuck uh, what, Cucker, what Tucker said, mm, where was it? Uh, incompatible with a free society? Wrong. That's incorrect. Um, we used to know that. Look at the, uh, Spanish flu pandemic of 1915. Everyone was wearing masks. Um, wasn't a problem. So I don't know what you mean by used to know that. They strip people of their identity as individuals. Incorrect. Uh, there are so many different types of masks you can get. I've got a constitution one because I'm a fervent constitutionalist. And I think the constitution is the greatest document ever written on the face of the earth. So I got a mask that has the constitution printed on it, you know? Uh, so I've proven that I'd like to think that, I mean, just the fact that I own this proves that fact entirely wrong. Um, and even though we recommend people to double mask and wear a, a surgical mask, which would be nice, you can still double mask, um, which they say is helpful too. transform citizens into drones. I'm not seeing that. Um, I, I, I know I'm certainly not not. You know, my range, thanks to the internet, goes all around the world. I'm not seeing people suddenly lose their sense of identity by wearing a simple piece of, of cloth or 
of uh, medical material on their face. They isolate us and alienate us to shut us off from one another. I, I disagree with that too. I mean, there are plenty of people that see each other in the grocery store with a mask on. That <laughs> they're not suddenly antisocial. They prevent intimacy and human contact. Well, I mean, I'm assuming the first thing that he's the first thing that comes to my mind is um, kissing. That's that doesn't have to be the definition of intimacy, though. Intimacy can be many, many different things depending on what you like. And there are seven billion people on the planet. Who are you to decide suddenly that intimacy has to be physical contact and seeing and feeling each other's mouths? Um, they're the, and, and so I think that's all rhetorical manipulation, uh, fear-mongering at best. Uh, I'd like to think of, again, that that's all just him fuming and he doesn't actually believe any of that because that's about the stupidest thing you could possibly believe right now. Um, but it, under the instance, it's not, incidents, under the, <clears throat> under the, um, under the assumption it's not, I would say that he's wrong. Just plain and simple, he's wrong. Um, and then here's the part where I know that this is just him reaffirming his ideological delusion and to say that it's the left's fault, actually. It's this line here. The rest of us should be snorting them first. They're the aggressors. It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in. Like, that is that is the best example. Honestly, um... Carlson would make an, a fantastic politician because political ideologues and the, and the demagogues we elect called politicians today are fervent uh, emotional manipulators. Um, they rely on it, actually. I would say very, uh, very little do, pol do the political engines in our country's government at work actually ever use information and facts and collaboration to do anything to actually make our country a better place. They just emotionally and rhetorically manipulate people to um, dilute their, their perception of reality so that they constantly give political power to whatever party is trying to manipulate them to begin with. And I think Tucker Carlson actually does a very good job at that. But that's very dangerous because people like Tucker Carlson further divide the country by reaffirming ideological delusion um, as opposed to just looking at information and having rational discussion. Tucker Carlson, I don't believe, wants to have rational discussion as much as he may say he does. And this is something I say about ideologues a lot. They will never admit their evils and their bigotries until every last person is dead. They will wait for everything to be destroyed and all of the people uh, to be dead before even so much as admitting that they are capable of doing things wrong. And I think Tucker Carlson likely falls under that uh, category. Um, overall, I just think it's reckless and stupid, and, you know, I, I, I um, regret that someone as diluted as Tucker Carlson has uh, mass, such a massive uh, uh, base of followers. Not even that. Perhaps maybe if they would just question what he says more instead of blindly follow it as the truth, as if he's a god of wisdom and nobility. But that's something that people in politics don't do because they are delusional and don't want to believe that that isn't the case. So, our next piece of news, uh, another incidence of uh, potentially police brutality, 
um, that unfortunately happened right here in, in North Carolina, in Elizabeth City. Um, a man named, by the name of Andrew Brown Jr. was shot in the back of the head, according to their family attorney, and an unofficial um, autopsy released. So attorneys representing the family of Andrew Brown Jr. said Monday that North Carolina sheriff de sheriff's deputies shot the 42-year-old black man in the back of the head as they were serving a warrant last week. Brown's son, who was allowed to view what the family's attorney said was 20 seconds of police body camera video, called the shooting in Elizabeth City an execution. My dad got executed just trying to save his own life. Khalil Freebie, uh, not Freebie, Fer Fer Farabee, it's, I, I believe it's pronounced Farabee, told reporters during an afternoon press conference. Family attorney Dar Harry Daniels said Brown was shot in the back of the head and he called for the officers involved in the shooting to be arrested right now. Another family attorney, uh, Chantel Sherry uh, Lassiter, 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 yeah, I believe it's Lassiter, said, or, no, I'm going to say Lassiter, said the body cam video showed Brown posed no threat to police during Wednesday's incident. She said the video showed Brown in his car, in his driveway, with his hands on the steering wheel. The video started with officers firing at Brown, uh, Cherry Lassiter said. At least five officers were facing the driver's side of the vehicle, pointing their weapons at Brown, she said. Some were calling for Brown to show them his hands. They're shooting and saying, let me see your hands at the same time, Cherry Lassiter said. Uh, Brown tried to drive away from the officers who continued to fire, she said. The vehicle eventually crashed into a tree. We in black America don't understand when a black person is going away from you, you think it's allowable to shoot them in the back and to kill them, said attorney Ben Crump, who is also representing the Brown family. Ben Crump was also the representative for um, the Floyd family. Um for George Floyd. Um, in a video statement posted uh, uh, to Facebook on Monday, um, Pascatank County Sheriff's P Office Chief Deputy Daniel Fogg said the office would comply if the court ordered a release of the body camera footage, but said those people who claim the Sheriff's Office has the ability to release the footage either don't know North Carolina law or they're trying to purposefully inflame a tragic uh, situation. So that is true. In North Carolina, the law is not the same as in other states. In North Carolina, the police cannot uh, release um, body camera footage of their officers on command. They actually, um, it, it, it's only if a court requires it of them. Um, currently, I believe the attorneys for the Brown family um, is, are working to get a judge to, um, I don't know if subpoena would be the right word, to have those body camera footage released. Um, so, taking this all in after last week's rant about, um, emotional instability and how it affects our, or how it actually, um, retards our ability to think rationally and logically, especially in the face of a tragic situation that may affect us personally. Um, my first assumption is that, oh, that's awful, you know, because based on the story being told here, this man was shot in the back of the head after being essentially attacked instead of waiting. Now, if body camera footage is released and a completely different story is shown, then I will have to change my opinion. 
But based on the information laid out before me, um, this looks like a tragic situation where officers decided to play a reckless game, um, and they will hopefully receive their due punishment should this evidence be um, corroborated in court. Um, but first it needs to be to get out. So does this mean I would uh, join in protest um, if a protest was happening tomorrow? Probably not, because I don't want to presumptively get upset simply because it's a police officer and a black man. We cannot look at these things with an umbrella view of um, stuff like that. At least I don't think I can. I'm not a person who believes in applying an umbrella ideology to everything because it simplifies all the situations we view and it makes all of the answers to our problems simple. If the answer to your problem is simple, then likely it will have unwanted results when it finally implemented, usually by the government. Um, it requires intense thought on complications that are, or on situations that are complicated and different case to case. So, whereas I can, where I feel I can have more strict opinions on shootings such as Dante Wright and George Floyd, I'm not going to take a specific opinion other than, based on what I believe, what I've been told, uh, it sounds like the officers are responsible for being reckless, for overstepping their boundaries as, an officer of, as officers of the law, and should be charged accordingly for the death of this person. And it's not because he's black. And at least that's not my reasoning. It's because he, he died in general. Um, but I do believe that we... That uh, it's... I, I don't know where I was going with it. I, 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 my, um, I lost track of my thought. Put simply, I believe that um, we should wait for... <laughs> more succinct information to be released so that we can form more, um, uh, my throat, form more, um, not realistic, I guess rational, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, to, to form better opinions that are more based on, on the truth. Put, that's, I mean, put simply, that's what I think. I can't comment too much on this. I will say I hope nothing bad happens in the state. I don't feel like having to, um, um, worry about, like, riders or anything like that. Um, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll wait more information, but under the current, uh, predisposition of the situation as imposed upon me, I believe this may be the fault of the police officers, and should the evidence corroborate that story, that they should be charged, um, justly. And, uh, before I forget... The FBI is currently investigating the situation as well. So, we will see what the Federal Bureau of Investigation yields. Now, this is worded kind of weirdly. Um, I have the review of Biden's first 100 days in front of the piece about his joint session to Congress on Wednesday. I think I might switch that around. Wednesday or Thursday? I think it was Wednesday, yeah. Um... But first, I want to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And if you're interested in supporting the show or you you just want it, check out my merch or my books in the shop section of my website. If you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, it is the very first thing that makes an appearance. 
Um, yeah. So I'm actually going to start, I think, with the joint session to Congress. On Wednesday, the president gave the joint session and uh, said some pretty interesting things. Or maybe I will talk about... Ah, uh, you know what? I will talk about the first 100 days. So... President Biden has been in office for over 100 days now. 100 days as of yesterday, Thursday for me. Um, what is the result? What do we think? I think I was right in the election cycle that he would be no different than any other 21st century president who generally uh, helps deteriorate the political discourse of the country by reaffirming ideological bias um, and only really padding his failures um, with uh, mild to um, uh, powerful successes. Um, Trump did this to a little bit much of a larger extent than most presidents. He Trump did it to a bigger extent than I had expected, and Biden did it to a lesser extent than I expected. So I still think I was right, but I think it was a little less than I than I thought, which is good. That's good news, but it's still bad because it's just like slowing down the inevitable collapse of the United States of America because our political system is completely unsustainable. Um, in terms of policy, um, generally, I actually don't think it was that horrible. Um, reversing the transgender military ban was one of the first things that happened. I remember that. I think that's good. In fact, in the State of the Union, he became... Like the, I don't, I don't remember. In the first, in the State of the Union, he gave a very nice anecdote about um, uh, to transgender Americans um, of all ages, basically like reaffirming their existence. And I think that was a good thing because they're one of those groups of people in the United States that uh, may not benefit or may not enjoy the full benefits of liberty because um, they are different. And that is very unfortunate, in my opinion, that people in America are not able to enjoy the full benefits of liberty because they do not fit in an ideological perception of reality, of which all ideological perceptions of reality are delusional and at least half wrong. Um... um what else did he do? Uh, I mean, he passed a lot of American this plans, American that plans. The American jobs plan, I think, was the one that passed. Was it that one? Oh, there was the COVID-19 thing. I think that in terms of the content, I actually think it's good. Republicans will tell you otherwise. They will tell you everything he's ever passed has just been, had funny names and have only benefited, ah, they've only benefited so on and so on. Um, if they're not completely lying, I think Republicans are purposely misconstruing information um, and misrepresenting the aims of the other side to politically benefit them, to fearmonger to their voting base, to ensure that they lose no political power in the midterms, and to reaffirm their own ideological delusions. And that is what you should always expect from Democrats and Republicans when the other party has holds power in the... Uh, in the, um, in the government. Like I said, unsustainable political system. Um, what else? I have completely... What else? 
the American Families Plan is something that he's working on. Um, I've actually not looked at that one, so I won't comment too much on it. But generally, from what I've heard, it's pretty much all right. Um, it does not extend the um, child tax credit, I think it's called, which is actually something I have looked up. And I do think that that's something that's not extended, but uh, made it permanent, which is what we were expecting. And now we're seeing that senators may try and make it permanent. So um, we will have to see about that. Uh, what else? Um, the infrastructure bill. I actually am a, I'm actually a big fan of that. I think that's a really good idea. And I think adding the internet into that and to hopefully provide a high speed internet for all Americans. I think that's a fantastic and good idea. Um, my biggest downside with all of these has been the fact that they all have such a massive, uh, price tag on it. Um, Biden swears we can just tax the tax corporate America and the top 1% and we can pay for all of these things. It's ironic he says that because it was his belief in the election cycle that we could not afford universal health care by taxing the top 1%. He said we wouldn't be able to afford, what was it, 4% or 40%? He said something with a 4 in it, I forget. So I don't know if he's just thinking that universal health care costs like five times this, which... I mean, now that I'm kind of doing the math haphazardly in my head, I guess that makes sense. But I don't know. The price tag is my biggest concern. It's one of the it's one of the biggest things that I agree with Republicans on that we shouldn't just spend money like whatever. I think it's ridiculous that we don't try and at least address the national debt. I think it's stupid that we just sit here and go, ah, well, we're never going to fix it. Like, that's such a pathetic excuse. And I have this saying where I go. When the government puts off its paying its debt because they think it's just too much, quote-unquote, they're celebrated. But when average Americans do that same exact thing, the IRS hunts them down like a dog. It's like, you know, why set such a bad example? And two, it's just not good for the country, so why don't we just stop doing it? But, you know, political ideological um, delusion kind of, again, gets in the way of doing things that might actually be good. So, as it always will. Um... But, I don't know. I, I like the content, generally, of all these bills and plans and stuff. They're actually not horrible. There are some, there are things in them that I think are stupid. Um, as per usual, there's always things. There's I mean, he's, like, in all of these bills and plans, Biden has slipped in ideological, like, just policies that would reaffirm ideological superiority and political power for his ideology and his ideological party. Um, um, but that's what... Is that's what I, that's the part where I'm like, yeah, I was right when I was like, he's not gonna change that, despite his call for bipartisanship, which is the one biggest thing that threw me off the water and how much he was actually trying to get bipartisan support for all this stuff and compromise and stuff. That's been the biggest thing, like that caught me off guard in a, in a good way, and I hope Biden continues it. In fact, I hope he gets stricter on it. I hope he tries even harder on it. I hope he doesn't just give up and allow the Democrats to just make everything Democrat world for the next four years, or at least the next two years until the midterms. Um, you know, I hope he does live up to that unity, um, bipartisan thing. Uh, I just don't, I don't know. My hopes aren't high, um, as they weren't in the election. And again, I was proven almost exactly right. So, I don't know. Anyway... On Wednesday, marking the 99th day of the administration, Biden gave a joint a speech to a joint session of Congress, kind of covering his uh, first 100 days in office. Um, there was one historic image, being the first female Speaker of the House and the first female Vice President, 
uh, sitting behind him. That was pretty historic. That was pretty cool. Um, I'm gonna. This is gonna read from the article now. The speech looked different than in past years, with COVID-19 keeping the audience confined and putting a larger emphasis on the television audience at home, likely Biden's biggest audience of the year outside of his inauguration. Um, the pandemic made a speech like no other. Um, there were only 800 people. They're masked. Um, Biden delivered the address on his 99th day in office, and unlike many of his other speeches amid the ongoing pandemic, this one struck a decidedly optimistic tone. An energized Biden sought to take credit for the strides the United States has been fighting COVID-19, noting 220 million vaccine doses that have been administered by Thursday. Uh, real quick, I'd like to mention on that. Um, conservatives constantly say, Trump started that, Trump started that, Trump started that. And I agree with them. I actually think the Biden administration is not being fair in giving Trump's warp speed um, credit for basically kicking off what Biden finished. Um, I think it's completely unfair that the Biden administration is trying to paint Trump out like a complete and total villain when that was not the case. I do not believe that at all. I believe that even though most ideologies and most presidents in the 21st century for certain uh, try to impose the ideological bigotries of their delu of their delusional ideology. I think that that still always comes with good stuff, though, um, because there's like when it comes to ideological parties and political aisles and all that nonsense, um, they're always they always do like half the stuff they do is all right or good. And then the other half of their stuff is just worthless garbage. And that's always been the case. And I think Operation Warp Speed was the biggest success in terms of COVID-19 that Trump faced in that part, because COVID-19 is what destroyed Trump's economy. It uh, completely wrecked his reputation. But the one thing he did good in relation to COVID-19 was kicking off the vaccine stuff. And I think it's completely unfair that Biden does not give Trump credit for kicking off what he uh, finished. Um, he said he inher inherited a nation that was in crisis. Um... Now, just 100 days, I can report that the nation is on the move again. Um, he said Americans never, ever, ever stay down. They always get up. Um, America's rising anew, choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, and light over darkness. I think that's just uh, rhetorical, uh, emotional stuff. It's just meant to make you feel good so that in the next election you'll vote for him and you'll vote for Democrats. Um much of Biden's speech focused on what he hopes to do over the next year, major priorities like gun control and immigration, his enormous infrastructure bill, education, and child care plans. Um, on immigration reform, House Democrats have introduced standalone bills to give a pathway to citizenship to deferred action for childhood for DACA arrivals, recipients, and green cards to farm workers. The existence of those bills indicates House Speaker Nancy Pelosi does not have support necessary to pass Biden's comprehensive reform package. Um, Senator Dick Durbin for Illinois, Democrat, the second-ranking Democrat in the Senate, has all but admitted the president's comprehensive immigration reform package won't pass in his chamber this year with a razor-thin margin of Democratic control. Same thing goes for gun control. While senators like Pat Toomey and Chris Murphy are discussing measures that might grab some Republican support, um, uh, it's looking iffy on um, the Senate side of things. Might be able to succeed with the $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan. Um, despite the roadblocks, Biden made it clear in his remarks that he was open to considering other proposals to find consensus on issues like infrastructure and criminal justice reform, so long as it meant progress. 
quote, I like to meet with those who have ideas that are different, that they think are better, Biden said in response to Republicans who have proposed their own infrastructure plan. I welcome those ideas, but the rest of the world is not waiting for us. I, I just want that to be clear. From my perspective, doing nothing is not an option. And, oh, yes, I did remember reading that. That is the part that struck me off guard the most on Wednesday. I didn't watch it on Wednesday. I only watched, like, the first 10 minutes, and then I read it um, yesterday. Um, that is the part that caught me most off guard, and that's the type of thinking that I actually think we need in Congress, that we need people to be open to the opposite ideas and kind of take the good and bad from both and get rid of the bad and morph the good together to create true policy. I mean... It's as Biden said clearly there, true progress only stems from bipartisan support from people who are willing to just go, it's not about winning, it's not about any of this nonsense, it's about um, doing things that will we think will help, and then we implement it, if it doesn't work, we tweak it, it it's like that kind of uh, collaborative, uh, imaginative um, bipartisan conversation that will only be the source of true progress. And I think that the fact that Biden actually said he's willing to do that, I'm hoping to see that in action. Because if we see that in action, Biden will jump up the list on my list of good favorite presidents. I mean, the fact, like, like, if he does this, and he does this with everything, like, not only will he destroy my perception of him from the election, because Biden during the election worried me, but Biden, if Biden does this now, I, I would love it. It'll definitely ramp up my support of, of, of the president. He unveiled the family's plan. Um, in the plan, Biden calls for a universal preschool for three and four-year-olds, such as, as well as two years of free community college, a national paid leave program, and $800 billion in tax credits for families and workers. Um... He uh, noted that his personal connection to education, signaling his wife, First Lady Jill Biden, who teaches at a community college. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Joe, any country that out-educates us is going to out-compete us. She will be deeply involved in leading this effort. Um, he plans not to raise taxes, though, to pay for it. He doesn't plan on raising taxes... Um, on people who make less than $400,000 a year. Sometimes I have arguments with my friends in the Democratic Party. I think you should be able to become a billionaire and a millionaire, but pay your fair share. I'm not looking to punish anybody, he continued, but I will not add a tax burden, additional tax burden, to the middle class of this country. They're already paying enough. Um... Mm, more stuff about that. Yeah, okay, so that's generally it. Um, overall, I think that it's a very optimistic tone, and I think if Biden lives up to his end of all of these promises, he will definitely go up the list on my favorite presidents. Um, because, uh, just because we've not had very many presidents that are this openly willing to denounce the ideological or the delusion of ideological supremacy and simply do things that work. Um, 
which include, which, which, you know, just because people don't actively say, I think I'm better than everyone, you can tell in Congress by people's actions when they constantly only reaffirm that their ideology has the right answers, that's how you know that that's what they want. And many, many presidents have done that, and many, many Congresses have done that. Um, the previous administration is the clearest example of that in modern history, in my opinion, um, generally, with some minor exceptions throughout the four years he was in office. But yeah, if Biden lives up to these promises here that he's um, that he's saying, I will be not just impressed, I will be honored, and I will be proud to have him as a president. I mean, I always support the president, regardless of who it is, but I will be genuinely proud to have Biden as a president, even with his, his uh, uh, mental capacity. Um, you know, I because that's the kind of stuff I was saying just last week on the podcast about how that kind of collaborative, again, imaginative sort of, it's not about winning. It's not about reaffirming ideological superiority. It's not about implementing quote-unquote ideals that America has supposedly, which are always ironically ideals that your ideology has, um, but actually just about doing things that work, which sometimes means you take some, you, which means you take ideas from this side and see what works and get rid of what doesn't, and the thing from the other side you get, it's just about, it's not about sides, it's not about um, winning, it's not about uh, superiority, it's about doing the right thing. Like, I've said multiple times on my Instagram and on here, if I get older, if I get older, once I'm older, um, probably once I get out of college, I think there's a chance I may one day try and run for the Congress or something like that. And my motivation for that isn't, and nothing I ever would do, I would hope, I would pray, would not be political strategy, what's going to get me in power. It would be just what's the right thing to do, and that's how I would sell myself. Because politics today is so corrupted and ridiculous and delusional. Like, everyone in politics is a complete and total moron. Or at least they act like one. And so, if I were to ever actually become involved in trying to enact or partake in the system of government, my, my the, the point that I would sell myself on and what I would do would not be to ascertain political power for some ideology. It would be to use the function of government, the tools that government may give me, to procure, preserve, and protect the basic liberties and securities that all Americans are granted. Um, it's my fundamental belief that it is not the, the, the duty of the government to adopt and impose your preferred ideology on people simply because you're delusional and think that it's the only righteous one. I actually believe it is the, du it is the duty of the government to com stay completely independent of ideology and rather uh, work to procure, preserve, and protect the liberty of all people to have to then have ideological biases and delusions it is the it is the job of the government in my opinion to give people the freedom to be ideologically partisan and blind um, but when they start to infect the government with their delusion that's when it becomes bad because it creates a political system that is completely unsustainable it uh, increases violence and destruction and it 
I believe inevitably will collapse democracy as we know it in the United States. I do not believe democracies are sustainable when they are run on such political systems as the one we have in the United States today. And I think President Biden, if he acts on these things he's saying he's going to do and he continues some of the things he's done in the past 100 days, I think if Biden continues those things, I will not just support the president, I will admire the president. I will have a great sense of... I opened Netflix on my computer, and I did not mean to. I will have a great sense of venerability for the president, and uh, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. So, new, new information, I mean, says that Capitol Police ignored warnings of the Capitol riot on January 6th. Um, I know this might sound familiar, because we also heard this early on. So apparently there was even more information to imply that we knew the Capitol riot was coming and police did nothing about it. The Capitol Police, that is. The, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> the Capitol Police ignored critical intelligence ahead of the January 6th Capitol riot, including overlooking warning that, quote, Congress itself is the target, according to an internal watchdog report <coughs> obtained by NBC News. <coughs> oh, water and mucus and oh, it's all sorts of fun things back there. Um, the police force t tasked with protecting the U.S. Capitol also lacked policies and procedures that left them severely unprepared to deal with the deadly insurrection, the 104-page report uh, prepared by the Capitol Police's Inspector General found. The report has not been made public. The findings offer a devastating account of the Capitol Police preparation uh, ahead of the response to the deadly attack that unfolded on January 6th when a crowd of supporters then of then-President Donald Trump descended upon the building to try and stop the certification of Joe Biden's election victory. Um, the report also makes several recommendations about how the Capitol Police can be better prepared in the future. Responding to the report later Wednesday, the Capitol Police said it agreed with the recommendations, but also suggested it lacks the time and resources needed to implement them. Um, um, the watchdog reportings were first reported by the New York Times. In perhaps the most damning finding, the Inspector General found that the Capitol Police's intelligence unit warned three days before the riot that supporters of Trump, who believed his false claims that the 2020 election had been stolen, had made specific plans to target Congress on January 6th. I just spit all over my computer, goodness gracious. And were actively promoting violence. Unlike previous post-election protests, the targets of the pro-Trump supporters are not necessarily the counter-protesters as they were previously, but rather Congress itself is the target on the 6th, a January 3rd threat assessment said, according to the report. The inspector general quoted the intelligence warning as saying, stop the steals propensity to attract white supremacists, militia members, and others who actively promote violence may lead to a significantly dangerous situation for law enforcement and the general public alike. The report found that the Department of Homeland Security had also issued a warning to the Capitol Police and notified them that it had been identified a map of the U.S. Capitol's tunnel system on message boards where, you, where Trump supporters congregated. In addition, the report found that an FBI field office in Norfolk, Virginia, also warned the Capitol Police. The so-called Norfolk Memo stated that an online thread discussed specific calls for violence, staying, stating, Be ready to fight. Congress needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, and the blood from their BLM and Pantifa, a euphemism for Antifa, slave soldier being spilled. 
get violence. Stop calling this a march, a rally, or a protest. Go there ready for war. We get our president or we die. Nothing else will achieve this goal. The Capitol Police watchdog Michael Bolton, however, found this in, found in his report the Capitol Police wrote in a plan that no specific knowledge, known threats um, related to the joint session of Congress. Um, they said they do not have adequate policies and procedures for the responding unit would define its responsibilities, duties, composition, equipment, and training, the report says. The Civil Disturbance Unit was operating at a decreased level of readiness as a result of lack of standards and equipment, a lapse of certain certifications, an inaccurate CDU roster, roster staffing concerns for the unit, quarterly audits that were not performed, and property inv inventories not in compliance, the report states. So... There's actually there's actually a political implication this has that I'd like to talk about real quick. First of all, this implies that the riot that we saw take place was the pre-planned idea of someone other than Trump. Therefore, in my opinion, this actually makes the second impeachment of Donald Trump irrelevant. That's just my opinion. I always thought that because I thought it was rushed and I thought it was a result of unchecked feelings by members of Congress. Um, it gave no time for investigation. It just, snap, he's impeached. Um, and I think it was a result of anger and political, uh, political violence. But however, this implies that legitimately it was not Trump's words necessarily that made the riot happen, but rather the actions and the influence of these completely separate, though Trump supporters, people. There's probably a, there's a gray line there because of the fact that they support Trump, but there's no true way to tie him to the violence because of the sheer fact that it wasn't him telling them to do it. They had been planning this before January 6th, before Trump said, fight like hell. Which to me, therefore, given that that was the chain of or reason why they impeached him the second time, that therefore means to me that the second impeachment is irrelevant and, I suppose, invalid. Doesn't make the situation any less, like, his fault for making it worse, but he's made plenty of things worse that weren't directly his fault because he's an ignorant ideologically delusional person. Um, but then again, who who of us can say we aren't? Um, I don't know. That's just an interesting political implication it had. Other than that, it's just completely unfortunate that such ideological delusion could promote such destruction. I mean, I'm not going to get into it other than that this is a massive disappointment. And uh, if you're really interested in my opinion on it, go to episode one of season four or go to the video called, um, it's a video, what's it called? I'll pull it up real quick. I've got a video from episode one where, uh, I've got to search it up, an ep a video from episode one, like a short clip from episode one where I talked about it. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, it's on my Instagram. I posted a clip on my Instagram at when I released episode one talking about it. It was called, It Always Takes Death and Destruction to Wake Up the Left and the Right. Um, yeah, I believe that. 
so yeah, if you're interested in seeing gen like genuinely what I think about the Capitol riot and what I genuinely think about all that, watch episode one of the podcast of season four or watch that clip on my Instagram. Um, yeah, I think it's just generally it's devastating that this happened as a result of political ignorance and partisan delusion that was perpetrated by President Trump and by his supporters. Um, but that doesn't suddenly make the right the only people who are responsible for this. I mean, my biggest message to liberals when it comes to talking about January 4th, don't make believe that you're better than them. Just because you haven't uh, tried to invade the Capitol doesn't mean people of your ideological background haven't done bad things. I mean, look at any of the BLM riots, which, credit where it's due, some of them were the result of Antifa undermining the integrity of those riots by starting violence. Um... But not all of them were the result of Antifa. According to many reports, some of them were simply just riots out of the anger of, um, of BLM supporters. So don't think you are exempt from this and use this as a pedestal as a reason why you're ideologically superior to the other side. Because this is just a proof that you're both horrible. That you both can be horrible and you need to be fixed or something. I don't know. Anyway, ending on that note. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, if, you, if you're interested, follow my Instagram at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. You can support my show by buying my merch or my books or just checking them out in the shop section of my website. It would be greatly appreciated. And uh, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. And uh, I may or may not see you next week. I'm not sure. But we're just going to go under the assumption I'll see you next week. Okay. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.